Why is there suffering? Why is there persecution? Why is unhappiness, heartbreak, and sorrow such an integral part of all of our lives? This is one of the age-old questions Christians have been facing since the beginning. If we serve a truly good and holy God, why does he allow so much evil in our lives? When I was first approached by Zach to speak on Youth Sunday, one of the first things out of his mouth was that part of the reading for this week was the stoning of Stephen in Acts. He also mentioned that one of the famous I Am statements from the book of John would also be included in the lectionary if I wanted to have a little less jury of a message. But from the very first time he mentioned that the stoning of Stephen would be included, I felt God drawing me to talk about it. Back when he asked me to talk, I didn't even know what this COVID-19 pandemic was, that we were going to be in quarantine and months on end, or that so much sorrow, heartbreak, and death would so quickly be instituted in our lives. I personally had to deal with the horrors of online school, which makes quarantine twice as bad. Even more than that, this pandemic has taken away my senior track and field season. It's taken away my senior prom and my senior awards day and senior chapel, and maybe even my graduation, depending on how much longer this lasts. Sure, my high school came and put a sign in our front yard saying, we love our seniors, but can anything really make up for the memories that are lost in the solitary time? Still, even more importantly, my family and I are unable to go to church on Sundays like we have for as long as I can remember. I never thought I would miss waking up early on a Sunday morning to go to early service to Acolyte, but I truly honestly do. <laughs> but what you might not be thinking about during this time of isolation is that Christians 2,000 years ago experienced the exact same problem we are, we are facing today, even if our enemy is invisible and theirs was all too tangible, persecution. Right before Christ ascended in chapter 1 of Acts, he challenged his disciples to be his witnesses. One other word is to spread the gospel. To Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, he said. But in chapters 2 through 6, the disciples remain mostly stationary. They are building up a local church, of course, but they have not yet ventured to try to accomplish the rest of Jesus' challenge. And weren't showing a real vigor to do so. But in chapter 7, we read about the very first recorded Christian martyr of all time, St. Stephen. Preceding our prescribed passage for today, he gives a brilliant sermon, and one can venture to say that this was something all too similar to a normal church service occurring, even if the priest was an unordained man, likely wearing sandals and in chains, and the congregation was a group of Jewish officials who were judging him to see if this man was truly guilty of the blasphemy of which he was accused. Then, as we read, when Stephen closes his sermon in defense of why he believes that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, he is almost immediately stoned to death. When I first studied this passage, I thought, how backwards? This isn't how it's supposed to happen. Stephen is a hero. He needs to live on and spread the gospel to everyone he can. He gets one chapter in the Bible where he is truly in the spotlight and he's the main character, and then he gets stoned for what he does? Where's the fairness in that? Where is God in this ever so short passage that has ever so much evil. To begin, this event helps fulfill what Jesus commanded his followers to do in chapter 1 of Acts. Not only was it terrifying to all the, to all the Christians that witnessed it and heard about it, but it marked the beginning of even more persecution in that area, which ultimately made them scatter into Judea and Samaria, which is exactly where Jesus had once commanded them to take his message. Although 
persecution is never looked upon as a happy occurrence by any means, in this case, it is obviously the primary cause for the further expansion of God's kingdom. But the second major way that God turned evil into good of his kingdom is even grander than the first. Now, this second consequence is a little bit more of an inference, but its impact is still extremely plausible. And due to the knowledge of Acts' author, it's a very reasonable explanation. The author of Acts is Luke. Yes, this is the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. In fact, Acts can, Acts can be seen as an expansion of that Gospel. It's addressed to the same person, and it picks up exactly where this Gospel left off and focuses on the early church, while the first volume just focused on the life and death of Jesus Christ. Through the research of many biblical scholars, we, knew, we know that Luke was a doctor, and therefore an intellectual for his time. Someone that looked hard at the facts and focused heavily on evidence. Therefore, it's reasonable to conclude that what he chooses to include in his writing must be deemed important, no matter how small a mention it is. The second major positive consequence is that the stoning of Stephen was witnessed by a young man named Saul. You might not be as familiar with this young man's Hebrew name, but I guarantee you that you've heard of his Greek name. Paul. This is the same Paul that went on missionary journeys that were instrumental in setting up the churches in major cities in the ancient world, such as Ephesus, such as Corinth, and the biggest of all, Rome. This young man who witnessed and approved of the stoning of the first martyr in the history of the Christian faith also ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. What is the blame for this extraordinary transformation? Of course, there is an epic conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus, where he has a vision so holy that he's temporarily blinded. But how could someone not be influenced by the parting words of a man being wrongfully stoned to death that were not out of anger or fear, but were out of love? Lord, do not hold the sin against them. This small line of extraordinary love could have most possibly been the event that planted the ever so tiny seed in the heart of a man that would soon be one of the biggest proponents for the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. Finally, I think there's a very interesting connection that would easily be missed in the other New Testament reading included in today's lectionary. While the first reading had to do with an evil stoning, the second focuses on a good, holy, and living stone, a cornerstone. This metaphor is blatantly comparing Jesus Christ to a cornerstone. It said that a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Again, just like Luke including the line about Paul in chapter 7 of Acts, I don't think that this metaphor being put in this lectionary is a coincidence. I think that this lectionary was put together with a purpose, albeit a purpose that those who aren't crazy about literary wordplay might miss, Still a very specific purpose nonetheless. A living stone. And stones used for destruction. A stoning. And a cornerstone. A man killed for what he believes. And a passage calling you toward a belief that will continue long after all of us have died. No matter the circumstances. Many of you watching at home are probably wondering why I haven't talked much about the gospel. I mean, the passage that John includes, from John, includes one of the most famous I am statements from the entire book. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Now, I could say that I've been talking about the gospel message the whole time without talking from the literal gospel. But I think my message today has had everything to do with that message. Honestly, I think it's one of the most intriguing messages that is found in all of Scripture. What do I do when things are tough? Or when I'm stressed? Or sad? Or terrified of what tomorrow will bring? I think Stephen has the right idea. He looked death right in the face. He looked those stones right in their faces. And he found strength in his faith. When he saw men filled with hatred toward his message, he did what Jesus would have done and did do for the entirety of his life. He loved. When he saw those stones being thrown at him, it states that Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In the middle of his suffering, he most likely had the most real godlike experience he had had in his entire life. So I ask again, why does such a good God allow evil in our lives? As the famous Christian apologist Robbie Zacharias states, if God can do anything, then he surely can even allow evil and call it good. Our world is falling. It has been fallen since Adam and Eve's first sin, and it will be fallen until the second coming of Jesus Christ. But if we weren't so aware of how short we fall of the we need to even have the ability to, to dwell in heaven with our perfect God, then how on earth would we be able to see our need for a Savior? Truly, I tell you, I constantly thank God for a church like St. John's that always reminds us of God's insurmountable love. Thank God for St. John's. Thank God for Jesus Christ. And thank God for being the light at the end of the tunnel who causes even the worst of events to all work together for the good of those who love God.